Thanks for listening to this Ave Maria radio podcast. Be sure to share it with your friends and family and across social media. Building the church so we can bless the nations. This is Ave Maria radio. Fighting the culture of death and striving for a civilization of love. You're listening to Cresta in the afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. My guest, Dr. Michael New. He's visiting assistant professor at Catholic University of America and an associate scholar at the Charlotte Legere Institute. Uh, there is today a heartbeat bill taking effect in Texas after the Supreme Court declined to take action to stop it. Michael, good to have you with me. Ah, thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Tell me uh, about the bill itself. What does it do? Uh, we have great news out of Texas. Uh, Governor Greg Abbott signed this bill uh, earlier this year. It, uh, he signed it on May 19th, and the law took effect today. Uh, and this is a great day for pro-lifers because it provides uh, serious protection uh, for unborn children in Texas. Uh, that provides legal protection for unborn children uh, once a fetal heartbeat can be detected. Uh, that typically takes place around uh, six weeks gestation. Uh, even though Texas has a relatively low abortion rate, it's a big state. Uh, data indicates that tragically about 50,000 abortions uh, take place every year. Uh, the most recent data from the CDC indicate about 33,000 abortions take place after seven weeks. So it at least protects about two-thirds of these unborn children uh, who might otherwise be aborted. Mm-hmm. And by some estimates, it might prevent 85% of the abortions taking place. So uh, unborn children in Texas you know, are getting some legal protection, and this is a great day for pro-lifers. What, uh, I mean, this was, uh, pro-abortion forces tried to stop this bill uh, from being um, implemented, and they went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court decided not to act on it and allowed this bill to uh, go into effect. Um, What should we conclude, or should we conclude anything from the Supreme Court's decision not to interfere with the implementation of this bill? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, obviously, the composition of the Supreme Court has changed. Uh, Donald Trump appointed three Supreme Court justices uh, who we think are abortion skeptical, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. So I think there, there's certainly that. Uh, I don't know if we can uh, learn much about how they might rule on the upcoming uh, the Mississippi Dobbs case. case. Yeah. The Dobbs case is coming up. The oral arguments are going to be starting uh, in October. At least that's our, our expectation. Uh, so it's kind of hard to really uh, predict uh, how this will, uh, you know, affect that case. But I think there's just a lot of reason for optimism. You know, again, Texas really is following the science. You know, we know that a preborn baby's heart starts being at six weeks. We know that a preborn baby's heart will beat nearly 16 million times uh, by 15 weeks. And uh, I think that again, this is a great day for pro-lifers. But we also have our work cut out for us. You know, I think we as pro-lifers really should step up and support pregnancy help organizations in Texas. I think they're going to be getting a lot more calls and a lot more requests for support. Uh, there's over 300 organizations uh, dedicated to helping pregnant women in Texas. Uh, sadly, I see lots of supporters of legal abortion online trying to raise money for these abortion funds, mm-hmm. uh, subsidized abortion. I think pro-lifers should step up and uh, give to these uh, organizations. You know, I yesterday made a donation to the Agape uh, Pregnancy Resource Center in Austin. Uh, any pregnancy help organization uh, that's affiliated with Heartbeat or CareNet 
or NIFA, National Institute of Family Life Advocates, is worth supporting. So I think your listeners and other Catholics and Christians out there should really step up our game and do what we can to help pregnant women in need uh, in Texas. Yeah, this is this is an important point uh, because the American people and American women in particular have grown up with the expectation that abortion was an option. Uh, Senator Dale O'Connor's uh, refusal to do it make any radical change in Roe v. Wade. Uh, part of our argument was, well, you know, American women have uh, grown accustomed to having access to abortion, and it would be overly burdensome to with you know withdraw that option. So, what if in fact this law uh, is uh, adhered to? Uh, there are going to be many women that had anticipated uh, uh, abortions who are now going to be saying, oh, I'm, I'm pregnant and uh, I wasn't anticipating this. W- will those women get help? Uh, will they get the social support, the financial support, the moral support, the spiritual support that they need to actually embrace their maternity uh, and protect yeah. that child? I think the answer to that question is yes. I mean, you know, it's interesting. Most of your listeners are probably familiar with pregnancy help centers. Sure. Uh, but to people kind of outside the pro-life bubble, there's a lot of people who just aren't aware of them. Right. Uh, but according to Heartbeat International, you know, they do a worldwide directory of pregnancy help. And I was just online today, and I found over 300, I found exactly 337 organizations in Texas dedicating to helping pregnant women. And these groups uh, help out uh, a variety of ways, whether it's with uh, health care, whether it's you know, shelter, there's maternity homes, whether it's financial help, uh, whether it's counseling. You know, these organizations very quietly are helping you know, thousands of pregnant women uh, every year. Uh, there is help available uh, that you know, they are eligible for state funding from the state of Texas. Texas has actually done a good job that instead of supporting Planned Parenthood, which undermines and destroys life, uh, these organizations which, which uphold and build a culture of life, uh, but they still probably could use some assistance. So again, I think that you know the onus is on us as pro-lifers to really step up and do what we can to assist you know pregnancy help organizations, not just in Texas uh, but elsewhere. Uh, you've been following also uh, a Texas uh, House bill, uh, which uh, rules in place of uh, regarding chemical abortion drugs and uh, placing some common-sense rules regarding them. Tell us about that. Uh, it looks like House Bill 4. Right. The House Bill 4 uh, was passed by the uh, state legislature in Texas yesterday. It's off to Governor Abbott's desk, and it looks like Governor Abbott will sign the bill. And this is a, an excellent uh, piece of legislation, uh, that uh, chemical abortions are going up dramatically in Texas. We've seen an increase by about 70% wow. between 2017 and 2020. Wow. Part of this due to policy changes that the FDA has made possible to obtain chemical abortions later in gestation. And also, as abortion clinics have closed in Texas, uh, they're starting to push chemical abortions more and more often. There were, I think, 40 surgical abortion clinics in Texas in 2013. That number fell to 22 uh, by 2019. And what this bill would do is it would prevent chemical abortion drugs from being administered after seven weeks gestation. So again, I think there's evidence showing that uh, when chemical abortions are taken later in gestation, that really does increase and magnify uh, those health risks. Mm-hmm. And it also prohibits abortion-inducing drugs from being sent through the mail. So I think it's important that you know women do uh, have an in-person medical exam. Uh, that if a woman has an ectopic pregnancy, 
Uh, a chemical abortion drug could be fatal uh, if a woman um, is later in gestation and she realizes that could have negative health effects. So uh, a good piece of legislation, uh, not getting quite as much attention with this heartbeat bill going into effect, uh, but the Texas state legislature should be, uh, should be commended. You also pointed out uh, in a, a note to me that uh, earlier this month, a group of over 70 House Democrats introduced a resolution asking the FDA to permanently lift in-person requirements for chemical abortion drugs. What are in-person requirements? Sure. Typically, uh, women seeking chemical abortions can only do so after they receive an in-person exam from a physician. Mm-hmm. As I said, there's good reasons for this. Again, if a woman has an ectopic pregnancy, a chemical abortion can be fatal. If a woman's further along in gestation than she realizes, uh, that chemical abortion could pose very serious health risks. So usually uh, when women uh, obtain chemical abortions, they typically do so after an in-person medical exam. Now, supporters of legal abortion have been trying to expand access to chemical abortions, and they've been very opportunistic, in my opinion, uh, during the pandemic. Uh, They actually sued, saying that FDA requirements were unconstitutional. And they did receive a favorable court ruling uh, this past summer uh, at, at the district level. Uh, the Supreme Court in January uh, reviewed the case, and they agreed the FDA's protective rules were, in fact, constitutional. Um, now that changed again. Uh, Joe Biden took office in January. The FDA, under his you know, kind of direction, uh, went ahead and basically removed those requirements. So as of April, women could obtain chemical abortions without any kind of medical supervision. Uh, so now that's only for the duration of the pandemic. Uh, when the pandemic is over, the FDA requirements should come back in place. What House Democrats did earlier in August is introduce a resolution trying to make it possible for women to obtain chemical abortion drugs without medical supervision even after the pandemic ends. So they really wanted to make it possible for women to obtain these chemical abortion drugs without any kind of medical supervision, basically forever. Do we so have? Inst- I think that's something pro-lifers should be aware of and yeah. should push back against. Uh, I mean, do we have other instances, other countries, uh, in which people are able to uh, dispense with the in-person requirement for receiving chemical abortion drugs uh, and you know, relying maybe on telehealth uh, abortions, so to speak? Yes, for Great Britain, uh, starting around uh, 2000, early in 2020, dispensed with their in-person requirements. So, uh, you know, Great Britain had requirements similar to what we have in the U.S., and they dispensed them during the pandemic. And contrary to what you hear from the mainstream media, uh, this has posed some real health risks. There's a researcher named Kevin Duffy who's gone ahead and sifted through a lot of the data, and he found that emergency calls related to chemical abortions went up by 54%, between 2019-2020, and ambulance responses increased by 19%. So we know that chemical abortions are dangerous. There's a number of studies out there that show they have four times the complication rate of in-person surgical abortions. So we know they're dangerous, and letting women obtain these chemical abortion drugs without any kind of medical supervision just increases those health risks. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Michael. It's always good talking to you, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Uh, this is going to be an interesting year at the Supreme Court for on, on the uh, pro-life front. So, Absolutely. Yeah. No excuse to be bored. Yeah. <laughs> good. Thanks, Michael. Michael New, again, uh, joins us now and then. Uh, he's an associate scholar with the Charlotte Lazare Institute and a research associate at the Catholic University of America. Um, I did want to take a moment, though, to say that 
uh, this is we now have a, a new Supreme Court, and uh, as he as uh, was pointed out at the beginning of the interview, Michael referred to three of uh, Trump Supreme Court justice picks uh, that are reputed to be. Uh, they, they see real problems with abortion jurisprudence in America. And uh, to be blunt, they've been associated with the pro-life, not the movement necessarily, but with pro-life opinion. Uh, we have not had a, a majority of justices that have seen the problems in Roe v. Wade. We have, it looks as though we have five now who see that Roe v. Wade was a raw act of judicial power. And where they're going to come out, uh, you know, in the Dobbs decision, which they're going to be undertaking, I think, in October, where they turn out, I, we don't know. But uh, this is something that's new. A lot, of the, a lot of the stuff we talk about, I've seen come and go over, you know, many years. But this one's new. This is a novelty that we have not seen. We have not seen a Supreme Court in which there appear to be a majority of justices that think that Roe v. Wade was poorly decided. Think about that. That would be a major victory for the forces of life here in America. It would be a major uh, victory for the untold number of theologically conservative Christians who have been fighting for the unborn even before Roe v. Wade. So, call for prayer is what that is. Let's see how this plays out. But it's a time to be optimistic as well as hopeful. I'm Al Creston.